0: Hello, hello everyone, I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Today's show is number 150. It's almost exactly three years, December 1st, 2020, since I started doing this show. Reality is really speeding up. So much happened in these three years. Is there any object... Subject of well-being or healing that we did not discuss Or you would like me to speak about something uh, That you asked me and I didn't expand on fully Uh, Once again, I need your feedback Um, How are you feeling about our Bible talks are you interested Would you rather me talk about health more? Would you want me to talk about the Bible but on a faster pace or opposite to go into greater detail in every chapter? You can send me an email if you would like to give me your feedback or ask questions to Peter1818, Resnik, R-E-Z-N-I-K at gmail.com. So in these three years, I've covered so many subjects, and I did speak to some of you, and I'm very grateful that you uh, call and ask your questions because that keeps our show going. Uh, But today is the last Tuesday of the month, the Night Dream Show, if you have a night dream to share or have questions regarding night dreams. Uh, i will start with answering emails and you have a chance to prepare your night dream um, if you thought of sharing with it today the number is 888-874-4888. Oh, before also before i respond to the emails a little show and tell uh, i Got it on internet. I usually go on my Facebook uh, a day uh, before the show, and usually something comes up that um, attracts my attention. Here is what Jim Rohn said. We all must suffer one of two pains. The pain of discipline or the pain of regret. I love it. So true. Discipline. The ability to stick to your commitment to doing exactly what you know needs to be done to turn your intention into reality and what does one do to to, to do this to make it happen well um, make an effort and stay on it. If one has a clear intention, if one has clarity about what one's want, and what if one does not have clarity? Well, then getting clarity or finding exactly what you want is an intention on its own. Also, it can be pursued but the commitment and discipline of pursuing it is necessary. The other day I was watching um, Robert Kennedy jr. being interviewed by Lex Friedman. who interviewed when he was interviewing Bobby on on political issues. He also asked Bobby Kennedy about uh, how this how he um, keeps in shape because You know, there were also little videos where Bobby Kennedy is exercising and he's really so well built, so strong. And Bobby told him that every day he was going for a hike with his dog for one hour and a half. He also said that every day he works out at the gym for 35 minutes, vigorously, without stopping. This is commitment. And this kind of a commitment to his well-being makes it possible for him uh, to be efficient in pursuing other things in his life. I spoke to someone who is struggling with weight, self-care, and does not exercise. And he asked me about my exercise routine, and I told him, and it is every day, I exercise for one hour and a half. Uh, Six days a week. No, no, I'm sorry, for one hour and 15 minutes. Uh, And he said, well, you are very lucky. You like to exercise. And I don't. And I said, I don't either. I like a good cup of hot chocolate. That's what I like. And I like many things in my life. But in order to be able to do all those things, those things that I like, I choose an exercise routine, uh, something to do that I dislike the least, and I follow it with a full commitment. That keeps me healthy and able to enjoy the things I enjoy. I also know, ladies and gentlemen, that some people have difficulties keeping uh, their commitments. And that's why I created the WIT, W-I-T, will integration training and at some point i think i shared with you some techniques i even gave you assignments Uh, and maybe i have new listeners and you don't know about it but uh, if you ask me questions if you send me emails or just call uh, i will gladly share with you the tools but it's a, um, a series of exercises assignments 12 that I give for three weeks each, and it slowly builds one's ability to stay on track builds one's will. Another tool to to build one's will is to go and study martial arts. If you have a chance, uh, it doesn't matter where you are now what um, what level of uh, of health you are at. You can always start with simplest exercises, whether it's martial arts or yoga, these two. And of course you need to have good guides. Now emails. Uh, this week actually I was still thinking about my reply to my friend Ricardo from California regarding sexual energy. Something bothered me after the show, last week's show, I felt there was something missing in my reply to Ricardo, yet I was not sure what it was. And that happens to me, that I am dissatisfied, if I am dissatisfied with something, but I don't know what it is, usually the answer comes to me either in a night dream or when I wake up, just when I wake up in the morning and the first thought comes through somehow, and it it's a hint on what it is that is dissatisfying me or what it is that that was kind of, you know, it's on the tip of your tongue or pre conscious, we can say you, you almost know something is off, but you, you almost know, but you don't know. And sure enough, this Sunday I woke up and knew exactly what was bothering me. As Ricardo and I were talking about sex, having sex, not having sex, cultivating sexual energy and transforming it into spiritual energy. Sunday morning, I realized that we did not talk at all about love and intimacy. Because it was Sunday, my leisure day, I simply went on the Internet and did a little research. Interesting statistics. Before the 60s, before the sexual revolution in Europe and America, an average adult reported having four to six, two two, two to four sexual partners in their lifetime. This the same poll done in uh, 1970s after sexual evolution uh, Mm -hmm. found that an average adult had six to eight sexual partners in their life. Now move forward, fast forward 25 years. In 1995, the poll showed that an average adult had 15 to 20 sexual partners in their life. But in 2020, again fast forward 25 years, with all the freedom in the world, to have as many sexual partners as one desired. The poll showed that an average adult had three to four sexual partners. In fact, many reported having sex uh, and being fine with uh, sex uh, in their life one or uh, one time in two weeks, And some even one time a month. So what happened? Why having sex became less and less appealing? My take on it is that one of the greatest promises of sexual revolution, freedom to enjoy yourself emotionally and physically to the fullest, has not been fulfilled. Because by having one partner after another in search for greater and greater pleasure, people did not have time for or neglected the most important aspect of two people being together. And that is intimacy. It's interesting, one of the, the actually the very first commandment in the Bible we read, and it is, uh, it is not good for men to be alone. Not it's not good for men not to have sex. It's not good for men to be alone. What does it mean to be alone? In fact, uh, I know that in UK, United Kingdom, they, uh, their uh, Department of Health opened a department of studying Uh, Loneliness, excuse me. Yes, I had a sip of my ginger tea. Uh, So the whole department studying loneliness because um, they're discovering that people who are lonely uh, have higher rates of illness and die prematurely. So before sexual revolution, some people enjoyed sex in their marriage, and some people did not. But because most all um, were in committed relationships, they struggled together, raised children together, celebrated together, grieved together, they had intimacy there was a feeling of connectedness and belonging. But lately, when sex became uh, something like ice cream, you want to try uh, yet another flavor, eventually you get tired of ice cream. And the feeling of alienation kept growing. With all those uh, so called friends on your Facebook, I I think people um, feel more and more alone. I think that people will want to have sex again when sex once again becomes one of the expressions of intimacy, not a substitute for it. And to have intimacy with someone takes time. Takes courage, takes commitment. Uh, a movie comes to my mind with Merlin Brando. It was one of his, I believe, one of his last movies. Uh, he was already in his late 70s, if not early 80s. I'm not sure when he died. Uh, it, I believe the movie came out in 1995. Um, t- the movie titled Don Juan Marco, Merlin Brando played a psychiatrist who was working with a young man who attempted to jump off the building. And the young man played by Johnny Depp lived in this delusion that he was Don Juan, the greatest lover of all. And session by session, he shared with the psychiatrist how he was able to attract all those women and seduce them and he was able to do it by responding to their deepest needs, by knowing all of them, by paying attention to what each woman really wanted. And and made the psychiatrist think about his own life, his own marriage. And one evening, that's a beautiful scene. And I, I talked to many people have spoken to many people over the years about this scene. Uh, And some remember it and some don't, but it's a powerful, powerful scene. And that is in the evening. uh, The character of Merlin Brando is with his wife and they play people of their age. They're both in their 70s. And inspired or affected by his sessions with this young man, uh, Merlin Brando asks, his wife or the character of Merlin Brand asks his wife what do you want and she in a habitual way goes oh sweetie I want you to be well I want our children to be well I hope our grandchildren and he stops her he interrupts her and says no 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 tell me please what do you really want and suddenly she freezes and then we see tears in her eyes. And she says, I thought you would never ask. And I think that's that's the incredible, incredible statement. Uh, a lot of people over the years, you know, I've seen, I've been seeing couples for at least the last 30 years. And uh, very often. I find people live together 10, 20, 30 years, and they still don't really know each other. They did not share those little things about themselves to to the, the closest person they have. And, you know, if not now, when? That's what creates intimacy, real sharing. And then having physical intimacy is just the icing on the cake. Anyway, let me go back to the next email. Uh, I just wanted to bring up, ladies and gentlemen, this subject uh, of intimacy to you. And if you want me, if you want us to continue this dialogue, you're welcome to call or to write to me. And I will gladly talk about intimacy more. Here is another email from Judy. I'm still confused about something. You talk about God being in control, and at the same time you talk about humans having free will. I don't understand how this works. Uh, There is no free will, Judy. There is freedom to choose. Free will would mean you get what you want, for example, whether you work or you don't work you know somebody hires you and they say we pay you a thousand dollars a month or ten thousand dollars a month and you have free will you show up fantastic if not fantastic that's free will no you may want something and you have freedom to work for it and acquire that or you can choose not to make an effort and that is also fine. Nobody will punish you for not even trying. Perhaps you yourself will punish yourself, feel regretful. But nobody is after you for not doing it. Your freedom is absolute. Do what you choose to do. God has no control over the choices we make. God can guide us to receive Consequences, though, I, I give you an example. There is there is a story. Uh, King David did census, and God clearly uh, stated, said to uh, King David, you are not, and to other kings before, uh, uh, to Saul, not other, because there was only, before David, only there was Saul king of Israel and so God made it clear do not do census you do not count human beings unless I tell you to do it. and then King David did it and of course there is a price Uh and God says you know there is a price you're going to pay but you can choose what price you pay you can choose either to be conquered and and taken into captivity by your enemies which were already at the gates or a plague can strike this place all you and your people and David makes the right choice he chooses the plague now why does David choose that's a risky thing because David understands it that God does not have uh, control over the choices that people make. And so if he's taking and his people are taken to captivity, there is nothing God may be able to do if if the captors are merciless. So David chooses plague. And when the plague begins, David tears his um, clothes on himself and falls on his knees and begs for forgiveness. And guess what happens? The plague is over. Plague ends. So David made the right choice. So, but that's how, remember, I told you that this um, biblical stories are archetypal stories. We learn from them we, how to conduct ourselves, what we can trust, what we can rely on, or what we cannot. So David had freedom to choose, and he chose to try, uh, trust in the mercy of God rather than the mercy of man. Um, Judy, as I read your email, actually, an old parable came to my mind. And the parable is a woman prayed to God and prayed and prayed asking God, To reveal himself. And one day. She was transported to a place of light. But that place. Even though she knew. You know she was transported. She was no longer in her house. But it looked like a store. A regular store. Just full of light. She was obviously not on the earth. And there it was. A store. And the God. Who was at the counter and the woman though surprised did not want to miss the opportunity and said dear God what can I get from you in this store and God said anything you wish any desire any thought any want just say it. but remember in my store I give only the seeds and I think it's a very powerful parable. So God will, will answer your prayers. But it's all will come as a as a an impulse, as a seed, as the beginning. Uh, and what you do with it is is absolutely up to you. What you put your energy into uh, as my teacher of Tai Chi used to say, energy flows where attention goes. So you bring attention uh, into something and it begins to grow. So, Judy, God is in control over the seeds. But it is up to us what seed we ask for, whether or not we keep watering the seed, after we planted it and the seeds may be the seeds of love, creativity, construction, self-sufficiency, strength, connectedness. Also the seeds may be the seeds of anger, blame, resentment, shame, judgment or hate. Whatever seeds we ask for we will receive and we may choose after planting some seeds which may produce thorns, we may choose to ask for different kinds of seeds, and we also will receive them. This is also our freedom to change our minds, to choose a new path, to start treating ourselves and or others in a new way. To water those new seeds and to see what happens. This is the blessing of freedom. This is God's great gift to humanity. Now, let me give you yet another part of the workshop that I promised to deliver to you piece by piece. I'm talking about the workshop keeping sanity uh, in the world that went crazy that I did it. Um, Gary knows ranch. By the way, I would love to get your feedback regarding those tools I gave you already uh, in the last two shows. So here is yet another tool. What we call a crazy world is all but the circumstances or people we encounter in our lives. How we interpret our circumstances will determine our experiences. I offer that you consider that nothing, absolutely nothing is too important. Unless, of course, it is too important. But indeed, very few things are. A child in danger, that's important. Somebody holding a gun to your head, that's important. The rest is not an emergency. We make things important. Let's say somebody is rude, or somebody says something you totally disagree with. You have a certain political view these days. The world America is divided. And somebody has a totally different view. That is perfectly fine. They have right to have their view. And you may think that they're mistaken. That's okay. They're not asking you for your opinion. They're not calling you and saying, please be my guide in understanding life. So if you respect your freedom to have your opinion or your way of looking at reality, you must accept that they have their own opinion. And what if somebody is imposing their opinion on you or somebody is rude or aggressive? It has everything to do with them has nothing to do with you. Somebody is rude or aggressive, you have to say to yourself, mentally, this is this person's story. It is not my story. Remember, this is like a formula. This is this person's story. It doesn't matter why they're saying what they're saying. They have their own history, their own education, their own uh, genetic inheritance. Who knows what else goes into it? They are who they are. As long as nobody grabs you uh, physically, then you have to protect yourself. Otherwise, remember, whatever they're saying, it's their story. It does not have anything to do with you. Acknowledge people are who they are. The world is what it is. It doesn't mean that you have to become complacent and accept everything the way it is. You can act upon making changes in the world but accept that that's how the world is without this righteous indignation how dare you are how can they they can because they are who they are and you are who you are that's it so two things one remember don't take someone's story as your story it's their story And the second, nothing is an emergency. Unless it is an emergency, and very few things are. Okay? Practice. And now finally we go back to our journey in exploring the deeper meaning of the Bible. And we arrive to chapter 15 of Genesis. So uh, God is speaking to Abraham, uh, verse 1 in chapter 15. After this incidents, the, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, and notice in a vision, not just in the beginning, uh, God comes to Abraham just as a voice, but here in a vision. So we don't know if it's a night dream or kind of uh, an image that came to him while he was awake. Fear not Abram I am your shield your reward is exceedingly great and God goes on uh, promising um, protection to Abram being his guide and Abram goes oh Lord God what will you give me since I am Going childless, and the steward of mine household is Elazar of Damascus, and basically, uh, Abraham is sharing with his pain that his servant will inherit, even though his servant is trusted and a good person, Elazar, that he will inherit all his wealth, because he doesn't have. Abraham does not have. Uh, children and uh, God is saying to Abram no you will have children and your children will inherit this land and in, in verse 13 we read and he said to Abram you shall surely know that your seed will be strangers in the land that is not theirs and they will Enslaved them and oppressed them for 400 years. So not only uh, God is saying that Abram will have children, but that he basically predicts the future. He tells Abram what will happen. Uh, and then we read in chapter 16, and Sarah, Abram's wife, had not born a Him a child. Uh, and she had an Egyptian handmaid named Hagar. Now, uh, at some point in in the uh, second second uh, verse of the sixteenth chapter, basically um, Sarah realizes that she cannot have children, and she offers Hagar apparently it was done those days like this, offers that Abram takes Hagar, uh, not as a wife, but basically has sex with her maid. And through her maid, they will have a child. Um, And Abraham says, yes, Abraham accepts the deal. There is a little problem. I don't have an answer to it. But the little problem is that God tells Abraham Abram of all the things that Abram is to do. And yet his, Abram's wife on her own tells Abram that he needs to engage, he needs to have sex with Hagar. That's how they will have a child. And Abraham does not go to God and say, "Listen, can I do it? Since you are guiding me, since you promised that I will have a child, is it the right thing?" But Abraham does, does it, and a lot of problems come out of it. I wonder it's it's one it's the first time when Abraham does not actually consult with God, um, and and a lot of because Ishmael's. Um, Hagar's sons, Ishmael's uh, descendants then begin to oppress uh, descendants of Abram from from Isaac. So that possibly is the first mistake. But anyway, Abram has sex with Hagar and some unpleasant things begin to happen. Um, Sarah feels not respected because now um hagar is pregnant and she is not as loyal or possibly not respectful to uh, sarah and sarah begins to oppress her she's not nice to hagar and hagar is trying to run away basically she leaves she's pregnant and she leaves the home of of abraham and sarah and on the way, the Lord, uh, verse 11, and the angel of the Lord said to her, to Hagar, behold, you will conceive and bear a son and you will name him Ishmael. And the Lord has heard your affliction. Meaning that now she's pregnant and uh, because God is doesn't love only Abraham, God loves every, everyone in his creation. God is the God of justice. And he sees that injustice is done to Hagar. And basically he says, go back, you will have a child and the child will have uh, a lot of descendants who will become great. And Hagar goes back. And it's written in, in verse 16, uh, of of chapter 16, and Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him uh, Ishmael. And then Ishmael is growing up, and with if chapter 17 begins, uh, Abraham was 99 years old, which means uh, Ishmael is already 13 and god says speaks to, to abraham and says no 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 you're going to have a son who will continue your tradition who will be uh, the inheritor of what i'm teaching you and abram kind of is doubtful but he is listening to what god said god also says that abraham needs to circumcise his son and circumcise himself and that by actually the word in hebrew is you need to cut off orla." Orla means circumcise of what foreskin torah unnecessary without uh talmud we would not know without oral torah we would not need We would not know which part to circumcise, but in the oral Torah, which later became Talmud, it is written what part of the body to to be circumcised. And so Abram is circumcising himself and Ishmael. And then we read that Abram is recovering. Recovering and he's sitting in the heat of the day in his tent. And God is coming to visit Abraham. It's it's a kind of a very interesting thing that that sages derive from this moment, and it's about visiting the sick. Abram is not feeling well. By the way, by now, um, once once um, Abraham is told that he will be a progenitor of many nations, God gives him. A letter, S uh, a hat uh, no H, hey, makes him a- Abraham, and Sarah will become Sarah with H, uh, H standing for the word, for the name of God. So, which means Abraham, now you become godly. Sarah, you become godly, and so, and Abraham is recovering, and God is visiting him. So, visiting the sick is one of the requirements or mitzvot, one of the good deeds to do. So Abraham is sitting um, at his tent, at the entrance of the tent, and having a conversation with God. And God is telling him, oh, listen, you will get everything. God keeps telling all the wonderful promises. And suddenly uh, three strangers appear in the distance, at which point, you know, of course, it's a very wonderful thing that God is visiting Abraham and Abraham could say to those strangers, when they arrive, gentlemen, would you wait, please? Because I'm talking to God here. But no, what we read is Abraham says, I'm sorry, Mr. God, you have to wait. There are strangers, I need to meet to welcome them. And that's yet another teaching that we need to welcome strangers in our home. And um, Abraham is considered in the Bible, the most hospitable, wonderful host. So, and Abraham goes and uh, welcomes these three strangers. They look like normal human beings. And Abraham um, asks them to to rest, to honor him by uh, stopping by, and, and he wants to wash their feet and he um, calls the boy um, to bring a, a, a sheep or goat, and it's slaughtered. And he asks Sarah to make uh, to to need breads uh, or cakes. What it's called cakes? So and. He still doesn't know that they're not human. But at one point, they reveal themselves. And so now, when an angel comes, the angel has a purpose. An angel usually has one purpose only, which means the three angels come to do three things. One uh, comes to inform two to, to, um uh, to visit Abraham again and to take care of him emotionally, support him because Abraham is recovering. And the second one is coming to inform Abraham that Abraham and Sarah will have a child. And the third one, we're about to hear what the third one is to tell him. But anyway, Abraham is welcoming the strangers. They eat. And then one of the Uh, angels is informing abraham that sarah a year later will bear a child and sarah is laughing She is is a good jewish wife she's standing and listening secretly to the conversation that men have and she's laughing to herself because when the angel says that she will have a child and she's a Abraham at that time is 99 and she is 90. She's laughing to herself and she's saying to herself, uh, Now, when I am not having my basically my period, I'm not on a woman's way, and Abraham is old, will my skin become smooth and will I bear a child? And the angel that, of course, the angel hears her thoughts. And he says to Abraham, why is Sarah laughing? Isn't it? Why is she saying that she is old and she cannot bear a child any longer? Isn't everything possible for God? Notice what angel is saying. Why is she saying that she is old? He is not actually saying the truth. And remember, angel speaks for God. Basically, God is not saying the truth. Why? Because she actually thought, now when Abraham is so old, but God changes the words and says, why is she saying that she is old? Because God doesn't want uh, to create a problem in the marriage. So and from that we learn that, uh, at least in the Jewish tradition, to keep Shlom bayit in Hebrew, that is peace in the family, it's okay sometimes not to tell the truth. Uh, and it's done on many occasions eventually by by Aaron, um, brother of Moses, who was always um, keeping peace, helping people to keep peace in the family. So in also it's, it brings up the issue of white lie, or a real lie, which means if you can if you do something good, at times, it's okay not to say the truth. For example, if uh, somebody was knocking at the door of people, uh, Nazis were knocking at the door of people uh, who were hiding uh, uh, freedom fighters or guerrilla, you know, uh, fighters in France or Germany, and they would say, have you seen this and this person and they would say no that was acceptable and we get it from this biblical story so and but the most uh, juicy part is still coming uh, that's I'm, i was excited to share with you what the third angel is saying and the third angel is saying god heard and has seen what is happening in Sodom and Gomorrah and basically uh, um, oh no, no 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 yeah the juicy part I almost I almost screwed it up no so they are actually getting up they're thanking um, Abraham for the meal and then before the angel reveals what he, he is planning to do we have this most incredible verse and that is god suddenly is like a psychoanalyst couch god actually shares his thoughts just imagine if we read it remember the torah the text was dictated to moses by god whatever way it was whether it was Intuition or he heard the voice. I don't know but basically uh, Even though this angel was sent to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah uh, God has second thoughts and God has uh, What is shared is God's thoughts shall I conceal from Abraham what I'm going to do Abraham will become a great and powerful nation of all the nations in the world and they will be blessed in him. Can I not tell him what I am about to do? Can I conceal from him that I am going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And so then the angel says to, um, to Abraham, that's, god heard the cry of injustice and and we're going to go and destroy i'm going to go and destroy saddam and gomorrah and what happens with abraham remember how noah uh, and noah did what god said but here basically abraham becomes a pain in the ass abraham begins to argue with god here Abraham is saying, well, are you going, well, or is the creator of justice going to destroy the whole town even if there is a, if 50 people are righteous? And God's saying, okay, okay, I will not destroy it if there are 50 righteous people. And Abraham is saying, wait a minute, what if Five people are missing to this 50. Yes, only 45 people. Are you going to still kill everyone, including those people? Like it's almost blackmail. Abraham is saying, How can you do that? You know, what will people say? You know how they say it. And so he begins to bargain God down till eventually it comes to 10 people. And God kind of all, is almost uh, irritated. And God is saying, Okay, if there are 10 people, who are righteous, I am not going to destroy the city. And so then the angels live. And the reason I said it's a juicy part is because, think about it, God is out of time. God is not time-bound because God is not material, physical. So God knows past, present, and future. So God knew that Abraham will begin to Argue basically with God. So, what is the purpose? Why then God uh, told Abraham, knowing that Abraham will begin to argue? I think because God wanted Abraham to argue. God wants us to argue with God. That's the point. God wants us. To speak up if we don't feel comfortable with something we don't say oh this is god's will that's how it will be no you stand up you speak up you argue you beg and you will get your answer and the decree can be changed your life can be changed you know something happened a long time ago and it did not leave me i probably maybe 13, 14 years passed. And I still think about this incident that I had. And I started thinking about it, you know, two, three years after that incident, because two, three years after I read this passage and I understood that we need to fight God if we don't like something, to argue with God. And God will listen to us. And what happened 13 or 14 years ago, uh, a Catholic nun came to see me and she was, she was a young, beautiful woman in her forties. And, you know, she, somebody made an appointment, a friend of her, another nun made an appointment, a nun who quit smoking with me. And kind of, we we connected. And so this nun said, look, look my, my very close friend, another nun, um, has cancer. And I would like you to work with her. Um, and I said, okay. So this young woman comes in. And she's such a beautiful, angelic being, you know, kind, gentle. Her voice was so gentle. It was just pleasant to be around her. And she said, you know, I, I want, I came not because I need your help. I apologize uh, to, to start like this, but uh, I'm, I'm pleased, pleased to meet you. Uh, but uh, I want, I want you to know, I see I've got a telephone call. I will finish my um, story and then I will take the phone uh, from Ina from New York. So, uh, but she says to me that you know, I I am do it because my friends ask me to see you, but really I don't need your help. I have total faith in God, and if God wants me to to go to take me, uh, I will go gladly. And if God wants me to live, no, I will live. So there is nothing that I really need. And I had a nice conversation with her. I said, God bless you. I hope you know you, you are in, as you continue your journey in, in the best way, um, and if you are to go through transition to the other side that it will be easy. And, and so I don't remember the details. And she left. But then, two years later, when I read this passage, I realized that if I knew that, I would say to her, "You have to fight. it's a decree. Your job is to be in this physical world. Your, our job is to make to bring God to the earth, to make the life a better place, and that's why you dedicated your life to being a nun. So you have to speak to God and ask to change the decree and make a good case for it. But at that time, I didn't know this, so I am sorry I didn't. Anyway, we can continue later uh, our journey, but I would like to um to answer the call um inna from new york you're on the air hello yes. hello Dr. Resnick? yes hi inna. thanks for calling
1: okay i have a sh- very short dream in which i wondering about
0: okay you you have to, yes, it's a, a short dream. We have only five minutes of the show. Please tell me, and uh, we will not have much time to work on it. Unfortunately, you're calling one. No, the last I, I'll tell you right now. Okay. I, I look at one shoe.
1: On top of the black leather, where the big toe would be, stands a cobra one and a half inch tall it glitters like a small christmas ornament mostly red it's an eyeglass cobra i feel surprised and amused the cobra entertains on my shoe what does this mean Uh,
0: please help i need to ask you a question the Cobra was on top of your shoe, or it was part of your foot? Um, um,
1: I look at the shoe and on top of the shoe.
0: On top of the shoe. Is it the right foot or the left foot?
1: It's the right foot.
0: What, t- tell me, please, what's the first thought that comes to you about Cobra, as opposed to a lion or as opposed to a fox? What is Cobra? What's the Cobra first is
1: safety. In caring.
0: I, I'm sorry, I did not understand. It's safety, you said?
1: In caring. Cobras has been appearing lots of times before in my life.
0: A- and you call them caring?
1: Yeah. Wow. They are guardians.
0: Okay, okay. Before,
1: I don't know this time.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh... Look, it's very, it's very powerful what you're saying, because the meaning uh, of how we look at at this dream all depends on the meaning you ascribe to different uh, elements of your dream. For example, somebody else would say if I would say Cobra, they would say uh, death or scary or dangerous. But you say what? What is the one word that you used about Cobras? uh
1: they uh, keep keep me safe
0: okay so it's safety. they
1: they have occurred before near my on both sides of my chair up to my knees so for example
0: so in this dream remember the right side the right side is associated with the present and potential for the future so ah. the cobra is on your right side. And yeah. what do you do with your feet? You move, move forward. So it's about,
1: yeah.
0: it's about moving forward. So, mm-hmm. so which means the dream is telling you that you are safe moving forward. You're protected by this creature that is your protector. So it's a good dream, a dream of, of uh, protection and safety. So you are moving in the right direction. Whatever thoughts you had about your life, if you had some questions uh, about the next step that you're going to make in your life, the answer is you are safe. That's Can I
1: ask a quick question? Why is it standing on, on the toe part of the show? Is that part of walking also? Uh,
0: well, it could be on a different toe. I don't know what the function of okay. this bigger toe than versus smaller toe. Maybe it's just you You paid attention to it uh, Perhaps you know bigger without a bigger toe. You cannot walk, you know if
1: yeah. a toe yeah. would
0: be Cut off if a pinky would be cut off. It would be much easier to walk basically
1: yeah.
0: uh, The dream is telling you that you are protected. That's the main meaning mm-hmm. only one meaning a minute to go, thank you very much Ina for sharing, and if you want to share with another dream, next time call a little bit before so we have more time to speak about the dream, okay? Yeah.
1: Are you aware that you have not given out the number for people who don't know the number?
0: Which number? To not,
1: call? Not once. There are oh. two ladies, I know, they're trying to call you but they can't, can't get you, so we'll try again next time, and I thank you so much this was very good thank you
0: thank you and ladies and gentlemen our time is up thank you for being with me today uh be happy i hope to have your attention next tuesday at two o'clock peace to all who want to live in peace